From Finance and Commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers. I'm David Bolander, editor of Finance and Commerce. Thanks so much for joining. Beyond the Skyline is sponsored by Ironmark Building Company. Whether it's a new luxury apartment building in the North Loop or expanding the community in the suburbs, Ironmark builds quality projects for discerning clients. Ironmark's foundation is built on a culture of collaboration with clients and projects that stand the test of time. Talk to Ironmark's award-winning team about your next construction project today. Go to ironmarkbuildingco.com. In this episode, D'Angelo Svenkinson, CEO of Nao Partners Incorporated, talks to FNC reporter Brian Johnson. Svenkinson talks about his real estate journey, as well as challenges and opportunities in the larger Minneapolis-St. Paul real estate market. Well, I'm pleased to be joined by D'Angelo Svenkinson, CEO and uh, partner of Nao Partners, based in St. Paul, as the um, in that role, uh, D'Angelo provides executive level guidance of NAO's vision through strategic partnership, market expansion, and client services. And he has 15 years of industry experience in real estate development, finance, long range planning, and client advisory services. Um, first of all, D'Angelo, thank you for joining us. And how are you doing today? Uh, today has been a great Tuesday. Uh, the start of August, so mm-hmm. uh, football season is upon us uh, for those who are fans, but mm-hmm. excited to have this conversation with you today. Absolutely. Well, let's just jump right in, I guess. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about Nail Partners and some of the services you provide and how long you've been in business. Great. So Nail Partners, uh, we started the company in December of 2018. Uh, with a focus on uh, primarily serving black small businesses in the commercial real estate space. And so uh, we recognized, uh, Denitra Powers, who's my co-founder, and I recognize that small businesses, particularly uh, diverse small businesses, typically don't get access to, to you know high-quality commercial real estate services. So they end up negotiating leases and purchase agreements between themselves and uh, more sophisticated landlords or sellers. Um, and oftentimes that lead, puts them in a, you know, predatory or harmful situation. And so we started our business on figuring out how can we, in an industry that typically doesn't focus small, focus is very large. How can we create a business model that starts by focusing small and expand outward from there? And so uh, in December of 18, we kicked off that vision of what could be, and then we uh, expanded it to start serving uh, nonprofits, uh, local foundations, uh, municipal government, uh, really around real estate development, real estate feasibility, uh, some brokerage work, uh, but not really focused in brokerage. Um, and then we quickly realized, like, you know, both of us have master's degrees in urban regional planning. You know, how do we support, you know, holistic thinking around urban communities? not just on a per project basis. And so uh, from our scope of services, right, we really have three focus areas, uh, commercial real estate development, finance, and all the things that come with that. Um, 
urban planning, uh, things that come with uh, municipal support, fiscal analysis, comprehensive plan work, um, and really in the last two years, really ramping up transit uh, station area planning, uh, both here in the Twin Cities and in other markets. And then lastly, like we have a real strong passion for connecting people to projects. Uh, that's one of the things that we recognize as a huge gap in this uh, area is that a lot of projects are still very uh, sanitized when it comes to having conversations in community, especially tough conversations that have some real significant trade-offs. And so we built a service line in business that focuses exclusively on engagement and outreach um, and connecting people who typically aren't connected uh, back into the real estate and infrastructure building process. So a small business might have some real estate needs and they so they can go to you and say, hey, you know, here's what I need. Here's what I'm looking to achieve. And can you help me find a place? Can you represent me in the marketplace? That kind of thing. And then you can go out there and um, help them meet their needs. Is that a good part of what you do? Absolutely. Um, it's not only finding space, but typically small businesses who come to us are ones that don't have huge balance sheets. They don't have the financial history of, of what they do. Uh, they're really just, you know, either emerging as a business or uh, there's someone who's worked tires tirelessly in community renting space for decades. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're making kind of a declaration of wealth creation for their family of we want to go from renting to owning. And so mm -hmm. we get a lot of people along that spectrum. Uh, we like to say that we work with all the challenging opportunities possible uh, because that is where, you know, we built our niche. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I look on your website and on your LinkedIn page a little bit. One of the things that I understand you're called chief risk taker. Can you explain that a little bit? And uh, how did that come about? Um, typically, there's a lot of people who view risk as um harmful or potentially harmful or detrimental um i really came to grips with risk uh finishing up at graduate school at jackson state and so i really took to heart the work of behavioral economist daniel Kahneman around how we perceive risk how risk is measured and how we overreact to what's perceived as risk versus uh playing out the probability and statistics of the outcomes um, and so I started writing a book called At Risk uh, that really deals with how, from a culturally sensitive lens, how risk is perceived in different communities. Um, and, and kind of the thesis is you are no more at risk uh, taking chances that will, uh, opportunities that would improve your life than you are by not taking those opportunities. Uh, employment, entrepreneurship, a grant, a new promotion. Um, we overestimate the influence of risk um, versus like the, our ability to get things done. And so my team affectionately calls me chief risk taker because I will say yes to most opportunities that have that have hair on them. They're complicated. They're nuanced. They have, you know, racial tinge to it to where people have very hard conversations to have. And I'm like, so what? Like we're, we're here to solve hard problems. We're here to, you know, make our world and country uh, and our neighborhoods better. Um, who better than us to go take on the hard problems uh, and we have in community? And I'm not necessarily phased by it. I don't get worried. I don't have the emotions attached to it. And so um, I take on take on the hardest of the hardest. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Good for you. Yeah, sometimes uh, playing it safe or settling for the status quo can be the uh, riskiest course of action of all. And, um, that sounds great. Yeah, it, um, it costs us. It costs us, right? We, we mm-hmm. often talk about the unsophisticated way in which we measure new costs, but we don't measure the cost in society of doing the status quo as well. Uh, we talk about the outcomes and so the things we see around climate, the things we see around our economic disparities, you know, there's a cost for doing things the way that we continue to do them. And those costs are only talked about as large calamities, but like every day we're making decisions that cost us uh, to maintain the status quo. And so uh, the cost to do something different when put into context of the cost to do the same, um, there really isn't that much of a difference. Um, and it's more so about what we see as a, as a, as a philosophy for our future um, and what it ought to be versus what it is now. Yeah. Um, well, just to back up a little bit, you talked about how you work with some small businesses, but you've also been involved with some bigger projects. Uh, the uh, right here in Minneapolis, Upper Harbor Terminal, and um, I saw another project on your website, the uh, Downtown Redevelopment in Brooklyn Center. It looks like you uh, have owner's rep duties there. Um, can you tell us a little bit about those? I guess to start with Upper Harbor, um, you know, what are, what are, what's your role in that project and um, you know, what's the status of that now? It sounds like things are moving along. Yeah, so uh, things are moving along. We haven't been involved with that project since 2019, February. Mm-hmm. Um, Adric and I were both at Thor uh, Construction in the real estate division there. Mm-hmm. And so that's a project worked on at its very beginning with United Properties and First Avenue, uh, mm-hmm. bringing it through the early entitlement and planning phases. And then after we started NAO Partners in December, we stayed on for maybe another 45 days to wrap up our work. Mm-hmm. And so the movement that you see now is really the result of uh, Brandon Shampoo and Dana Frank um, pushing forward with a host of community partners in Houston White and Devin George and uh, mm-hmm. several who made that work. So I can't claim the recent uh, success <laughs> as, as our own, but that's a big sure. project. You know, institutional knowledge, we learn from that uh, around how to do community engagement, what not to do for community engagement. We applied a lot of those uh, early lessons to Brooklyn Center, uh, where we were the owner's rep to the city of Brooklyn Center as they were navigating what would the opportunity site redevelopment look like. And in particular, the very first phase, which uh, was in negotiations with uh, development rights with Alatus, um, who was looking at building uh, a, a concept there that um, originally included uh, some housing, commercial. I think at one point it had some uh, large water amenities or water parks that were considered back in 17 and 18. Uh, but then we ran up into the uh, recession where um, the recession that came through in, uh, as part of the pandemic and then you had the civil unrest and so we really joined the project in december of 19 going into early 2020 and then we saw kind of you know all the assumptions that everyone had um prior i'm sorry uh december of 2020 mm-hmm. to 21 uh, we saw all the assumptions that people had prior to the pandemic were still being used and we found an opportunity to work with the city there to help them think through what has the result of the pandemic meant for community relationship building, 
what do real estate projects need to accomplish to not just satisfy the pro formas of development, but how do you create a real strong community benefit strategy uh, in the early parts of the negotiations? And so we had um, led robust engagement on that site with over 10 different uh, immigrant community organizations, as well as residents, uh, um, native English speakers in Brooklyn Center. And we had really, you know, substantial conversations around what do they need from the future of their community? What can their community become? Um, and in that work, uh, one of the things that really stood up is creating an entrepreneurship market and plaza in which community members who have businesses that have been there can get access to better quality space. It wasn't that space wasn't available. It's that the quality of space didn't match where they wanted to go. Uh, you can imagine older strip mall centers. Um, that have had their fair share of deferred maintenance, uh, really housing entrepreneurs who wanted to elevate their business and the vision, um, but also the community wanted a place where businesses can go to learn, thrive, and, and become more self-determinate in their future. And so that was a project that looked at the 86 acres, but really focused on the first 15 acres um, with Aladdis, and then Aladdis brought on partners in Project for Pride and Living, as well as uh, Redeemer Center for Life, um, a Resurrecting Faith World Ministries. Oof, wrong church, new church. I got it right, though. Uh, but they brought on partners to reinforce a, a more holistic community project. Um, and so uh, it, was a, it was a great win-win for everyone at the table. Um, that project is entering into final entitlements now uh, with developments and land use uh, applications being submitted. And so that's a project that should be coming out of the ground uh, in the next six to 10 months. Okay. How did you become interested in real estate development, community building? Um, can you walk me through that a little bit? Yeah. So there was a, a process and time where, you know, I grew up in a family that was from the Mississippi Delta. Uh, they moved to the Twin Cities in 1970. Uh, and we had tremendous amount of love and affection and care in our family, but we didn't have a lot of money, right? We had a lot of things that make healthy families, but we didn't have access to chase our dreams of potential. And so I kind of, for some reason, liked real estate. Um, I developed a love for how real estate can create wealth in families in a very incremental uh, way where it's very approachable for the average person. Uh, especially when you talk about home ownership as a gateway to building that. Um, but I started playing the game SimCity because of that. SimCity really, you know, let me know that there are people who make decisions around space and place uh, early uh, before it actually comes out 10, 15 years later. And so I wanted to go to school to learn that. Um, and I started off in the real estate program at St. Cloud State, uh, but quickly learned that I had bigger questions around why. Why were the things were why were things the way they were? Who caused it? Um, you know, what solutions are currently being talked about holistically? And so I switched into the planning and community development program there where I had some really great professors who were patient with the kid who asked why all the time. Um, not just the numbers, but like why was the theory in place? Why were people behaving in a certain pattern? And so that passion for community development and economic development came from the idea that real estate is more than just finance. It's more than just transaction management. There's actually a theory that's at work around how disposable income works in community. 
There's a there's a theory around why do businesses locate where they are, uh, zoning policy, why in certain neighborhoods you're allowed to do certain businesses where in other neighborhoods you can't do anything close to it. And so all these questions about why uh, were left unanswered even after gra- under, undergrad. And so I wanted to go to grad school to study the topics more specifically. Uh, and I went to Jackson State and that's where like the perfect alignment happened. I met uh, a gentleman by the name of Carlton Brown. Uh, he is what I would call, you know, like the perfect archetype of a, a developer, um, someone who understood how to make money, but also understood how to treat people right in community, how to build mixed income communities that were balanced and, you know, were vibrant in, in culturally different ways. Um, also someone who knew how to treat the environment right. So how to pursue green building standards before it was a popular, or even sexy thing. He, he's one of the founding members of USGBC. And so seeing from his lens how the private sector could actually play the role that uh, the public sector and nonprofit sector were aiming towards, uh, that propelled me to pursue, you know, how to do this work in the private sector. And so I spent some time working at Met Council. After graduate school, I worked at Sewer Redesign, working on neighborhood-based developments, had some spent some time at Thor looking at larger scale uh, redevelopment projects. And that was sort of like the sharpening process for me to feel confident enough to launch in December of 18 to say, like, I think there's something that I can offer right now. I don't know everything, but like right now, there's a need that isn't being met and I know that I can solve it. And so that confidence really launched out for me uh, from that from those days, really. Excellent. Um, curious to get your read on the overall Twin Cities um, development market, um, both in the way of opportunities and challenges. Been a lot of talk about the uh, rising interest rates and tighter uh, lending re- requirements, things like that. Um, what are you seeing out there and uh, what, uh, you know, it sounds like there's demand for uh, a lot of spaces, but there, but there's a, uh, you know, it's a, there are some challenges in the capital markets, but uh, what, uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, I don't profess to be an economist. I don't, I don't profess to, to know all the inner workings, but it looks like there's a lot of trouble ahead of us. Um, The flight to quality that everyone talks about is happening. We see it. That's great. That means there are going to be some winners in this kind of future market that won't feel the pain, but there will be a lot of potential losers. And those losers have recourse loans and only a few of them have non-recourse loans. And uh, from a capital markets pressure, right? When you start to see multiple properties and multiple sub-markets and in central business districts revert back to banks who are notoriously bad at getting those redeveloped in a healthy way. Uh, You'll see a secondary market of -of out-of-town scalpers who would just buy properties on the cheap and potentially Mm -hmm. let them sit there as they try to figure out what to do with it. Um, Put lipstick on, you know, some buildings that probably need to get torn down. They've lived their useful life. and they're not great for repositioning. And so that prolongs a bad building that isn't being utilized in downtowns, in stronger neighborhood submarkets. And so mm. I I think we do have, you know, 
a three to five year window of probably some significant decay of our existing inventory um, that the banks who recapture on those loans, um, they're going to be some financial pressure to the lending industry, to the insurance industry. Uh, and we see from a macro system standpoint, like there, there will be some challenges, right? And, and we see the credit tightening happening in, in the coastal markets, which is an early indicator for what's going to probably happen here in the next uh, six to 12 months. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's the necessary cycle. Uh, that we have to go through that's a bit painful, but uh, some of our projects and properties are overpriced. Um, the assets that some sellers are having to sell for because of the existing loans don't make financial sense in this new post-pandemic environment. And so some folks are are, are going to lose, and that's the name of the capitalist game that we signed up for. And so some losers have to happen um, in order for things to be rebirthed. And I think we are on the verge of like a roaring portion of our macro Twin Cities market, but we do have a lot of dead weight that has to get taken care of. And and there's no polite way to take care of it, um, but it has to get dealt with. And we only hope that it stays contained into real estate, but typically things reverberate uh, across industries. And I think that's where we see some potential pain points around forthcoming recessions tied to finance and insurance having some significant issues uh, where we see the brightest spots, you know, that flight to quality is one thing, but there is significant infrastructure investment uh, planned throughout the country. And in, and in our twin cities market, we're working on, you know, bus rapid transit right now and, and light rail transit. And so at the same time that we see turnover and ownership and valuations, we are seeing significant investment go alongside it. And so those who have the ability to withstand the early pressures of the market will see that investment uh, come to fruition. Um, and then you'll also see some neighborhoods probably look better um, because you'll have more localized ownership. And, and, and localized ownership is the thing that kind of ignores the macro trends. It's the thing that you know continues to operate the grocery store, or the small retailer um, with you know some operating loss for the short term, but it keeps a service in community. Um, and that's kind of what you need to withstand it. And then as those things reemerge, those businesses come back stronger. And so we think neighborhoods are going to be uh, very strong uh, over the next three to five years as people look to localize their investments. Um, but I think our downtowns do have, you know, three to five years of significant uh, turnover. Um, that's good for it. But, you know, it's, it just sucks being in the middle of it. Um, we, re we read throughout history that it happens all the time and we kind of dismiss it as like it is painful for some folks. Um, but this is kind of how we have to go about it. Well, that's great insight. And uh, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, you, you you pretty much covered all the bases. I will thank you again for your time. And did you have any other quick parting thoughts before I let you go? Yeah, I think it's, you know, really exciting as a, as a firm. You know, we started in 2018 with just me and my co-founder. And we've grown to 23 professionals on the team uh, since that time. And we are working in four other states outside of Minnesota. Um, and so, you know, for, for our organization, um, you know, we're excited about the future can bring. We also are, you know, geographically diversifying 
our business for all the reasons that we just talked about. Um, and we're seeing a lot of investment in markets that um, are in the deep south that currently doesn't exist in other parts of the country. And so as an organization and as a company, we're excited about it, being able to weather the storm. Um, but like we're, we're just simply growing uh, in an industry that certainly doesn't have a lot of people like us in it. Great. Well, good luck to you, D'Angelo. It was great talking to you and um, hopefully we can stay in touch. Yeah, you take care. All right. All right. Take care.